0: Well, as we've heard several times this morning, sorry, before I start, before I, before I begin, hi, I'm Joe. If I haven't met you yet, it's lovely to see some new faces around the congregation. And so if you are in Winchester for the first time, brilliant to have you with us. Um, Nigel and I need the church here. And as Paul said, Nigel's away and he sends you his love this morning. He had to leave the church quite early to get to Bognor, so we were quite happy to be coming here. <laughs> so as we've heard already a couple of times this morning, we had the Korean prayer team who were here. And one of the things that they did, Nigel showed you some photos last week, was they prayed around different parts of the city and kind of reminded us a little bit about our history, our heritage here in Winchester. They went to the cathedral, they prayed outside St John's house, they were up at the round table, all over the different places. And one of the places they went was to King Alfred's statue. Now, we've got a photo to pop up. Oh, sorry, am I supposed to do this? you just give me a widget. Sorry, thank you guys, bless you. King Alfred, he was a king, the king of Winchester and Wessex and further afield. I don't know if you've ever ever really thought about him very much. We live in Winchester. He's a familiar sight to us. Often if we're going into town or dropping the kids into shop or whatever, we say, I'll meet you at five o'clock at Alfred. Or we'll do this at Alfred. Or let's go from Alfred. He's kind of a familiar place. And this week, with the Koreans here and with Hillary doing a bit of digging and research, she told us some of his history, which I found absolutely remarkable. Because Alfred was really a significant person. His statue has been at the end of our high street for over 100 years. It was put up in 1901. I thought, why did they choose to mark that? Why did they choose to show how important he was? And actually, one of the reasons is he was quite an unusual and outstanding king. He was the first king of the whole of England. If you know your history, and I'm not a fantastic historian myself, but he, at the time when the Vikings were around, England was split up into different kind of kingdoms or different areas. And he was the king of one of them. The Vikings came and invaded. There was all kinds of battle and war going on. And yet he was a Christian king, and he didn't want to see Christianity and faith and broken down and lost and he fought back and there were battles and wars and he finally made peace with the vikings he did all kinds of incredible things through his rule because he was a christian he used the spiritual authority he had as well as the positional authority as the king and he changed laws he used the ten commandments as the basis of law which is what we now have as our laws today so the implications of what he did go down and down and down through the centuries He put into law that vulnerable people should be protected because that's what God says. And he spent a lot of time investing in education. He established the British Navy. He built fortresses so that his people could be protected. There are lists of all the different things that he did. And this is what someone wrote about him. It was Bishop Asser. He was known as a learned and merciful man, gracious and level-headed, and he knew that spiritual and secular authority weren't distinct categories. He persuaded his nobles to work for the common good and improve the quality of life of his people. And one of the things that struck us as we were looking at him this week was the way that he holds his sword. You know, if you think about a king, and he was a king, and there were loads of battles and wars and kind of stuff, I think, oh, I'm not quite sure how, how I feel about all how that worked out. But look at the way he holds his sword. As he led his people, he wasn't running with his sword pointing upwards into battle. <laughs> a bit like, you know, Braveheart, they may take our lives. But he's holding his sword like a cross. And it struck us the significance of that this week. That actually, this king was a guy who held before him the cross, that he understood what Jesus had done, his death, his resurrection, his bringing new life. But he also knew the importance of that, not just personally, but to his people. He saw the cross as something that would shape not just his own lives, but the lives of his community, his city, his country, And we reap the benefits of that today in so many different ways. And the other thing that struck us as we were kind of thinking and praying this week was actually a reminder. that In the Bible, it tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And as Christians, as God's people, we need to be moving forward with the cross in our sight, the cross ahead of us, remembering who Jesus is and all he's done. And also walking forward in the understanding of his word his word is written down in the Bible and his word for us today. You know, Alfred wrote, I've tried to live a worthy life. I want to leave those who come after me an example of good works. And I think, blimey, what a guy. You know, the battles and the war and doubtless many mistakes that there were made. Just like the people that Nigel spoke to us about in Hebrews 11 a couple of weeks ago. These were ordinary people just like us. And yet they chose to engage in God's extraordinary story, just like we can too. He followed God and he brought about change. And that's something that we can do as well. And as you know, as a leadership team, we've been thinking and praying about what God's calling us to in this next season. And we feel challenged and gripped, as you know, by the fact that our faith isn't just about us. It's not even just about Winchester Vineyard but it's about something much bigger. It's about God's big story, his mission story, his rescue story, and how we can be part of that. And, you know, we've, we've talked over a while, haven't we, about the mission of God, and we've talked about our neighbours and how we love our city. And I feel like God is just taking us in to some more of what he has for us in that. A phrase that kind of sums up a lot of, of this is that he wants us to lead our communities into life. And this is a phrase that we have heard, in fact, those of you who are New wine with us, maybe two or even three years ago, heard talking about this. And since then, we've been going, what does that really look like? What does that mean for us? How do we just get beyond being the church and doing a few good things to actually lead our communities into life? Is that preposterous? Is that outrageous that we could assume we can do that? Well, no, because that's what God's call to us is. We have authority from God to bring change wherever we are. If you're a teacher, it's in the school where you are. If you're a plumber, it's in the client's house where you're doing the work. If you're a doctor, it's in your surgery. If you're a mum or a dad looking after kids at home or caring for an elderly relative, it's in that place. God has put us all as agents of change where He wants to use us. And it's an everyday choice. You know, Will was speaking, wasn't he, about healing on the streets? And I've told you before, I love being on the HOTS team. And Once a month for about two hours, we go out and we pray for people. And often we do see people's lives change. We see them get healed. And this week, um, I, Nigel and I were out in Oxford, having a cup of coffee and sitting at a pavement cafe. And this bloke came past, an old chap, and I kind of knocked my bag over and he leant down to pick it up. And as he leant, he kind of went, oh, sorry, I can't do that, my hip. And I had a moment thought, I thought, I need to pray for that guy's hip. And then he just said, oh, it's been a bother for ages, and kind of moved my bag, and off he went. And I just, I've missed that moment. It's rubbish. I want to be a person who is engaging in God's story every day, not just for two hours once a month. And, you know, I think it was at the same New Wine. One of the guys said, I'm going to share with you the pastor's open secret. We talk about healing. We talk about people coming to know Jesus. We preach about the supernatural and seeing it happen. And yet for many of us, it's not actually fruitful in our lives. We're not really seeing it. And at the time, I thought, you can't tell them that. <laughs> and I felt really convicted because I thought it's true. And so since then, I have been trying to take steps to make this more real in my own life. And the truth is, sometimes it happens. Sometimes I go to hot or I pray for a neighbor or something happens. And many other times, something happens like that guy with the hip, and I miss the moment. I was struck this week as I was reading that somebody said, God doesn't want people who are amazed by what he's doing. He wants people who are engaged in what he's doing. And that hit me, because we do hear these stories. It's wonderful hearing what Will says. And we'll go, yes, someone came to know Jesus. That's brilliant. That's what we're here for. But actually, how much am I being the person who's really engaged in what God's doing. And that kind of leads me to the passage for today. This week, the leadership team had a day to pray and work out what God was saying. And as we worshipped together, I felt like God was saying he was going to speak to us as a small group from the book of Revelation. And that was all I got. And a little while later, Chris, who'd been sitting very quietly, said, I think this is what God wants to speak to us from, from this passage. And he said, and I've I've checked it kind of a number of times to make sure this is really God and not me making it up. And as I've been preparing, I felt like he wanted me to share it with you. God, God, that is not Chris. Revelation is a book in the Bible. It's the last book of the Bible. And it's a mystical book. To be honest, it's not that straightforward. Lots of people interpret it in different ways and have different understandings. It's thought by many people to have been written by John, who was one of Jesus' best mates. He was a guy who engaged in God's story, who lived through the adventure of being with Jesus. And then, when Jesus had died, he carried on leading the church and being involved in stuff and was exiled because of his faith and stuck on this little island. And when he was there, he had a number of incredible visions. He felt that God, Jesus, met with him and spoke to him and showed him a number of different things and asked him to write these things down to seven particular churches. And so today we're going to look at one of those letters, one part of that letter. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 3. And this is a very well-known passage to many people. And I'm actually going to read it from the message translation. So you do get out your Bible if you've got it or get it on your phone. But the reason for reading from the message is because it's familiar. I just wanted it maybe to have a bit of a fresh take from us, for us to understand what God might be saying to us. And um, I just said I should say, hang on in there. This is, some of this is a bit full on. We're going to take a deep breath and dig into this. And I'm really clear, I want to be really clear in saying, I am not intending to lay a guilt trip on anybody. My purpose in reading this to you and sharing what I feel like God has said is not to make you feel bad in any way. But my purpose is for us to look at what the Bible says, look and see what was God saying then? What is he saying to us now? And what do we need to do about it? And so... I do pray that God will speak to us personally, like he did to this church. So we're going to start in Revelation 3. And I think we've got, could you mind flicking the thing for me, Tristan? Thank you. And we're starting at verse 15. And Jesus said, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. You brag, I'm rich, I've got it made, I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious that in fact you're pitiful, blind, sorry, a pitiful blind beggar, threadbare and homeless. Here's what I want you to do. Buy your gold from me, gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me, clothes designed in heaven. You've gone around half naked long enough. And buy medicine for your eyes from me so you can see, really see. The people I love I call to account, prod and correct and guide, so that they will live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, run after God. Look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear me call and open the door, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. And as we look at that, that's quite a harsh passage. But what I actually want to say is I honestly believe this is a love letter. And we'll see a little bit more about that as we go on. To understand this passage, we really need to understand something about the church at Laodicea. It was actually a really wealthy city and it specialised in three different things. In banking, in producing black woolen cloth. And it's health They were famous for an eye salve or an eye ointment. And in verse 15, Jesus says, I know you inside and out. He knew the church he was writing to. And when he talks about them being neither hot nor cold, that some translations would say, you're lukewarm. Actually, this particular city, Laodicea, was between two others. There was Colossae. That is the Colossians we read about in the Bible. And they had cold water from springs that was really refreshing to drink. And there was also Hierapolis, which was another city where they had warm kind of spa-type waters, which were used medicinally. And Laodicea used to get its water from Hierapolis, so the warm water would come kind of overland or via the aqueduct. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it was gross because it was just lukewarm. And just imagine it's kind of lukewarm and kind of a bit minerally and it wasn't hot and it wasn't cold. And so when they came to drink it, they just wanted to, to spit it out. It wasn't refreshing and it wasn't very good for them. And so Jesus is giving them that description and they're all going, ah, I know what you're saying. You know, when we look in the Bible, sometimes there are stories about fishermen and, and um, har- you know, harvest and things. And for most of us, we don't really get about fishing and we don't really get much about farming unless you're david who's here and works on a farm you know we don't understand those stories and those parables unless we really dig into them and here jesus is speaking really personally to this church using the things around them to explain what he he thinks and what he feels about them and he says to them i want you to get real i put the next one down there we go you're putting up this image you're looking as if you well feel like you've got it made. That's what you're saying to everybody. But actually, I say that spiritually you're not like that. You're naked and poor and wretched and blind, if you want to go with the other translation in Brian Dirksen's song. You're comfortable, but I as God see you entirely differently, he was saying. And you know, as we were talking about this, Paul and I were chatting about this earlier, And I said, I'm not sure that I don't honestly think that God is saying to us, church, you are lukewarm. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on us at all. But what I am saying is that God wants to speak to us really personally. And it may be that there are areas of of lukewarmness for each of us. You know, for me, I've already said about actually seeing the supernatural in my daily life. For some people, it might be just prayer, like you were reminded in Paul's talk last week. When have you actually spent time thinking about sitting down and just connecting with God? Each of us have different areas in our life where we may be less hot than we should be or less refreshingly cold than we should be. And in a little little while, we are going to stop and have some communion and there'll be time to ask God just to show us what he wants to say to us individually. But in this specific talking, Jesus actually was saying to the ladies, look, I can see what you're like. And it's not about the outside, the image that you're portraying. It's about what's on the inside. And so here you are, you're saying you're rich, but I say, come to me and get gold refined in the fire. Spiritual riches, perseverance, faith, good works. Come and get those spiritual riches. And I say to you, don't be just proud about the lovely black woolen cloth that you're clothed in. You need to come and have Some translations say white clothes to wear, the righteous acts of the saint. And don't just be proud about that eye salve you've got. Actually, what I need to give you is a spiritual eye ointment so you can see spiritually what I'm doing around you. And I did wonder, do you know, what might Jesus say to us? What might he say to Winchester Vineyard? And often if if I speak to people, I say, oh, you know, I work for the church. And they say, oh, where's where's Winchester Vineyard? Never heard of it. And I say, oh, we're the church by the tip. And I wonder if Jesus might say, well, you joke about being the church by the tip, but actually I see some of the rubbish that's inside that you try to hide. Yet, you know, the reason this is a love letter is because he goes on to say, and this is what you can do about it. He doesn't leave us in our stuff. But first of all, he says, acknowledge who you are, get real, be honest, be humble. Because the next thing that you have to do is you have to choose whether or not you're going to respond. Come to me. Now, he's already told them that they're poor, they haven't got anything, and yet he says, come and buy from me these different things. And as I read about that, it said, how could they buy if they didn't have any money? And that buying there implies some self-sacrifice. Actually, in responding to God, we have to do something, we have to take some action. But what he offers is hope. He says, come to me, buy gold, get clothes from me, get medicine for me. So wonderfully, we see that Jesus shows us what our need is. And then incredibly, he's there and he meets it. And isn't that just the story of our faith? The story of the cross is that it shows us that we're not perfect, that we can't match up to what God expects and what God needs from us. And yet in Jesus, he amazingly provides a solution and we can choose and say whether or not we want to respond to that and come to live his way. In verse 19, Jesus says, the people I love, I call to account, I prod and correct and guide so they'll live at their best. And, you know, when somebody shows you something that's wrong, often it's not very comfortable I had that situation this week. I had a, an interaction with somebody over text, which is never, very rarely, a good thing. You can't see face to face with a text, can you? You know, it's like the same as Facebook or it's the same as emails. Somebody sent me a text and I texted back and they texted back and I texted back and we had this kind of exchange. But by the end of it, we were both quite cross and we'd actually missed what we were trying to say to each other. And actually, Nigel came home that night and I said, oh, this happened. And he just said, Joe, I can't believe you did that. I felt really bad. And I just thought and he, the truth is that is communication one oh one, basis of communication. If you want to explain something or have a, a interaction with someone, then try and do it face to face because then you see what's really going on, don't you? You see people's faces and you can really interact well. And then I felt really awful. I felt like Nigel was telling me off, and I felt quite criticised about it. And I just thought, well, okay, well, that's what you think, and I just did the best I could do at the time. And as I sat there, I felt like the Holy Spirit came, and he just kind of pointed his finger at my heart, and he said, I know this doesn't feel very nice, Joe, but actually he's right. You shouldn't have done it that way, and you need to sort it out. And so I got on the phone, and I spoke to this friend and said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it this way, and let's talk, and we can work it out. But in that moment, I felt awful. You know, it's when you get told off, you feel terrible, don't you? And that's, I imagine, how the Laodiceans felt. And they could have just kind of gone off in a grump <laughs> or ignored what Jesus was saying. Or they could make the choice to actually make a change, to respond to God. And the biblically word is repent, which actually means turn around. So when God is speaking to us, what is it that he wants us to do to change? He shows us what we're like if we're honest enough to look. He shows us what the solution is. And we can choose, are we actually going to do anything about it? I thought this was quite interesting. If you want something you've never had, then you've got to do something you've never done. That was a challenge for me about healing on the streets. At that time, a few years ago, I was saying, I really want to see people get healed. And the challenge was, well, so who are you praying for? (laughs) They're not just going to get healed in front of you. Well, they might, but (laughs) you can't claim any kind of involvement in that one. If you want to see people get healed, if you want to see friends come to know Jesus, if you want to see your business thriving because you're putting, because of God's principles and blessings being put into practice, if you want to be a great boss, if you want to be an employee that people say, wow, I'd love to have her, her working on my team, if you want to be the teacher that people look back in years to come and say, they were the one inspired, who inspired me, and you're not that person at the moment, But if you carry on doing the same things, you're still not going to be that person. We all have to choose to make a change and do something different. And so after repenting and turning around, the wonderful thing is that we're not left on our own. Jesus says, look, I'm standing at the door and I knock. If you hear me call and open the door, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. We've been invited into a great big adventure with Jesus. And, you know, if you haven't experienced that yet, then the door is there today and he is knocking today. You can choose to follow him. You can choose to say, yes, I want to be part of this big story. And we'd love to, like Will said earlier, love to kind of just pray with you and, and help you take those steps if you'd like to. Come, come and see me at the end of the service. But actually, this letter was written to the church. What a thought that Jesus is outside a shut door, banging on it and saying, here I am. I'm knocking. And what a wonderful thing that he says. If you hear me call and open the door, I'll come right in. I'll sit with you. i have supper with you. That incredibly intimate picture. And so we can choose, church, how we respond. We can choose as individuals how we respond. What is it that Jesus would want to say to each of us? What area is he kind of knocking on the door for us, either corporately or individually, and saying, just let me in, I just want to come and be with you. We have some time to respond now. And what we're going to do is we're going to share communion together. And this is we remember Jesus who died on the cross to forgive all the stuff we've done, that we have done wrong. To wash us clean and to give us a new start. And as we do that, I just wonder if we might do that in a, an air, if you like, or an atmosphere or a place of reflection. Because, as I said, I don't mean this to be a heavy thing that I am laying on you. I'm not standing here going, oh, well, I know everything that's wrong in everybody's lives and I think that God should come and sort it all out. There's none of that at all. But I do have a sense that God does want to speak to each of us, to me and to many of you. Well, oh, he wants to speak to all of us. And to steer us, to steer our feet even more closely to follow him. And so as Paul leads us in communion, let's think about that.
1: Those who have been asked to help with, um, communion, if you can make your way over to the, kind of the bread and the, the wine, please. As Joe said, I, I kind of, I love the, the, the way she kind of phrased it, that it's a, a love letter to us. It's, uh, an invitation. It's an opportunity. I hope I didn't take it this way as a kind of uh, having a, a guilt. Um, I just saw it as an invitation. God, this morning, right from the beginning, he's been inviting us. As we've been singing the songs, he's been saying, I want to draw closer to you. Will you draw closer to me? And what Joe has been sharing is uh, another kind of response opportunity in relation to that. Saying, will you draw closer to me? I want to draw closer to you. And so during communion, like Joe said, we want to just take some time just to reflect. We've got a reasonable amount of time. There's no need to rush. And just to slow down and say, God, what are you saying to me? When Joe told me, told me what she was speaking on this morning, the, the challenge, those who know me, I, I like to ask questions. And so the question I asked myself was, what area am I lukewarm in God as I look at my life? What area am I... And we're going to have an opportunity to respond. It was interesting, I'm not an expert on English, but there's lots of verbs they're doing. You know, they have an invitation to repent, to turn around, to begin to do things differently, to begin to think differently. The knocking on the door involves a a response. Are we going to... Open the door into that area of our life. And communion is just a great place because in the communion is where we just have the opportunity to allow God to touch any area of our life that we will open to him. For him to come and change and transform. So I'm just going to um, pray and, and bless this one. We're going to celebrate, we remember what Jesus has done is because of this that he can come in and bring life to any area of our lives. It's because of what he did on the cross that we can be changed. We can come into a relationship. We can grow in our relationship today. So I'm going to pray and just bless the bread that represents his body and the, the wine or the fruit juice. That represents his blood. And then and um, the cups are going to be spread around um, the room. And just really feel free to go up and take hold of it. And drink and eat. And just think about it. So I'm going to pray. God, we just thank you for that invitation this morning. I thank you that you love us so much. That we can come as we are, but you're always seeking to see us become more like you. That you are seeking to see us become more fully alive and live into the glory and the full beauty that you put in us when you created us, God. And we thank you that we can enter into that because you died on the cross, that you loved us so much, that your body was broken, that your blood was spilled, that forever we could be different. And God, we again this morning, we had that invitation, opportunity to say yes to that, to the life-giving power and transformation ability of the cross. And God, we, we want to do that. And I pray this morning that, Holy Spirit, you'd just come in your gentleness and you'd speak to us. You would open our eyes You would open our ears and our hearts To hear what you're saying to us individually And to us as a church, God Where you want to speak and move And change us, God Amen
2: change all my sin for the promise of salvation and a name across my brow. That the first
0: you know, God is here, his spirit is here, and he is talking to many of us about particular things. I don't know about you, but I I just feel a kind of weight in the room. And if God is showing you something, I just encourage you to really listen into that and to press into that and to respond. And there will be some time for ministry in a minute and Paul's going to come and share. But the last thing that I wanted to say to you was actually today I've brought you a present. (laughs) Nigel and I have told you that we're not very knowledgeable about gardens. We're not really gardeners, but I did biology. And so God often speaks to me through living things and growing things. And in our house in Birmingham, when we arrived, there were some really well-established plum trees in the garden that were very fruitful. And there was also this one little apple tree And the first year we were there, it had one apple on it. And then the next year it had four. And the next year, I think it had six. And then by the time we left, it had so many we could hardly count them. And it was only a small tree. And when we came to Winchester, one of the things I felt like God spoke to me about was that we were going to come and be part of a fruitful vineyard And we looked around a house and we saw Peter and Jill's house, Peter and Jill who used to be here, and they sold the house to us. And one of the clinches for me about choosing that house was it actually has a grapevine in the garden. And in our first year of being there, we had just a couple of really straggly grapes. And we've been here nearly four years now, and last year we had a, a kind of a few more, but hardly any. But this year, we have had the most incredible harvest. I've actually brought in today 150 bunches of grapes, and that is about half of what we have on our vine. And so today, I just want, if you'd like to take them, they're at the back. And this is, I feel, a kind of a prophetic thing, a God thing. Um, a God, God's promise to me is that we are going to be a fruitful vineyard. And what that means to me is that we are going to see God's kingdom come in incredible ways not just in the building, that's not what it's about, but in our communities. And that's through people coming to know him, that's through people getting healed and saved, broken families being restored, people who haven't got jobs getting jobs, people who are addicted and broken coming into new life. And so I just invite you, if you'd like to take a bunch as a prophetic symbol, you're really welcome to. Um, I haven't washed them, and as I was cutting them this morning with JJ, I was tasting them, and they tasted pretty good. But to be honest, I haven't had one from every bunch because otherwise, I would have been—that <laughs> wouldn't have been very good. And someone did try one and say, "Oh, some of them are a bit tart." So I'm not giving it to you, saying, "Oh, well, they're really sweet." But if this is a prophetic symbol um, that we are to be a fruitful place, and if you would like to take a bunch of grapes with you, then then please do. Thanks. Paul.
1: I like to actually pray into that. Because um, I think it is a prophetic um, symbol, what God wants to do in us, but not just the amount, but the stuff that Joe has been talking about is is also to do with equality. quality. And um, again, some of you responded, but some of you might want more time to respond. And so, there's going to be an opportunity after after the service, when I finish in a minute, just to kind of come forward. If as Joe has been sharing, as we've been having communion. If God's just been speaking and pointing out, this is an area I want you to just grow and develop in. This is an area I want to bring life into. And you want to receive some prayer, then really come forward and there'll be a group of people here just to pray with you. And I'd say, you know, seize this opportunity. You know, the door is knocking. And secondly, as Will was just sharing stories, and particularly if he was referring to things that ailments that you can relate to, like kind of sore throat or kind of your knees and joints, Really come forward and get prayer. But we've been celebrating communion and Isaiah, I think it's 53 says, by his wounds were healed. Uh, and so this is again, it's an opportunity, whether somebody says, I feel like God's saying this part of the body, that part of the body doesn't matter. This is again an opportunity, uh, just to respond to that. So I'm gonna, um, just pray, particularly in relation to the, the issue of grapes, because I think we should do a, we'll respond by taking grapes if you want grapes. But also I want to respond from the front um, in relation to that. God, I thank you that you want to bless your children and you want to bless your church, God. And Lord, that includes Winchester Vineyard, God. And we just thank you for the, the abundance of fruit, Lord, of grapes, Lord, that Nigel and Joe were able to grow, Lord. Not just because they were able to grow them, Lord, but because of what you're trying to speak to us, God. And God, we say yes and amen, Lord. We want to be a fruitful vine, God. We want to individually and as a church, Lord, be people that remain in you, God, and bear much fruit for your glory, God. Lord, we want a church that brings glory and honor to your name, God. And Lord, so we just pray for that, Lord, that in this season, Lord, that you're taking us into, that we would bear much fruit, Lord, individually as a church, God. That increasingly, God, we will bring life and transformation in and through us, God, to our communities, to our schools, to our workplaces, to the cities and the areas and the villages, Lord, that we represent here, God. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come increasingly in our lives and through our lives, God. Lives saved, lives healed up, people restored, Lord. Brought back into relationship with you, with each other, God. Relationships restored, God.
2: Amen.